I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who is conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. On the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven, he is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Greetings and salutations, my friends, in the name of our Lord. I hope you're having a fabuloso day. Ah, I'm Paige. I got my coffee. I'm ready to go. All right, let's get started. We've been uh, working in Titus. And let me get my background situated here. There we are. Uh, we're in the second chapter of Titus, and this is a very concise little letter. He's written it to Titus, who lives in Crete, and he is an apostolic representative of Paul to Crete, just like Timothy was to Ephesus. And this is probably one of the most practical letters and concise letters that Paul's written. It contains much of the same material that he sent to Timothy, uh, dealing with false doctrine. But in this letter, Paul is, Paul expands a little bit on what sound doctrine is. Uh, sound doctrine, when you think about it, my first thought is, somebody says, hey, we're talking about sound doctrine. It's how to think correctly concerning God and the Bible and things of theology, right doctrine how you think, but you know what? Right doctrine also includes right living. Doctrine is of no use if it does not affect your life. So that's kind of where Paul is going at here uh, with Titus. So let's get started. Hi, Terry, I see you. I hope you're having a good day, dear lady. It's an old friend of mine from back home in Alaska. Chapter 2. All right, he just got done talking in chapter 1 about false teachers, saying they are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for doing anything good. He says, you, Titus, however, meaning as opposed to false teachers, you must teach what's appropriate to sound doctrine. Now, sound doctrine, like I said, is not only how to think correctly, but how to behave as well. What good, is under, what good is doctrine, biblical doctrine, if your life doesn't reflect it? It's, um, you know, my dad used to say, my dad was one of the smartest men I've ever known. Uh, he used to say that what you do speaks so loudly that I can't hear what you say. There are many people who are in love with doctrine but not so much that it impacts the life teach the older men paul says to be temperate worthy of respect self-controlled and sound in faith and love and in endurance well i guess this takes sitting on your porch and yelling at kids to get off your lawn off the table because that's not being very uh temperate or self-controlled is it so teach the older men to be temperate Worthy of respect, self-controlled, and sound in faith, in love, and endurance. 
I'm in that crowd now, older men. I am uh, an elder, elder statesman, elder citizen, and I want to be known this way. I want to be known as being someone who's self-controlled, and I'm sound in faith, in love and endurance. In other, and endurance, it's like endurance in the faith. You're not giving up. You're continuing to press forward. I want to be temperate. I want to be worthy of respect. You know, I, I, I saw an older lady yelling at her grandchild in public, yelling, telling him, you're supposed to respect your elders. And I'm thinking to myself, as I saw that, I'm going, oh, you got to earn that respect, dear lady. That yelling at your kid and shaming them in public is not going to give you respect. We need, older people need to be worthy of our respect, temperate. Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers. We'll take a look at that in a second. Or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. Then they can urge the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind, and to be subject to their husbands so that no one will malign the word of God. Now, we've covered this in other letters from Paul. Being subject to the husband doesn't mean being a slave or a doormat. The husband and wife team are just that, a team. My wife and I, we are like two peas in a pod in so many ways. We think alike in the same way, but there's areas we think differently on, and we complement each other in that regard. There are areas in our life that she has just superior skill and attention to detail that I let her go with it. For instance, our bills, our money, how to spend our money. She's equipped for that. Now, can I spend money? Oh, yeah. You should see all the guitars I've had over my life. But she is wise in that regard, and that's her part of our marriage. That's one of her things that she does in our marriage that keeps us just chugging forward. Um, she's not subject to me. She's not my slave. But if we ever have an area of strong disagreement and I am really adamant about something, she will defer to me. Again, not because she's a woman, but because we're a team. So he tells the wives, older women, and this is like grandmothers, all right, to be reverent in the way they live. Not drinking a lot, not just hanging around, but to continue to be busy at living and to be subject to their husbands. Now, talk about slanders. He says up here, Teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers. This word slanderer, come, is the word that's transposed slanderer is di diabolos. Uh, we probably get our word, we get our word diabolic from this. Um, diabolos, uh, devilish, malicious, slanderous, as a noun, the devil, Satan, or a wicked person who is like the devil. Uh, we're talking about don't be a slanderer. And this is an ugly word. When you slander somebody, you are, you are claiming falsely something against their character. Um, someone would say, 
Paige is a drunkard. All he does is sit around and drink beer and whiskey. That would be slander. They are attacking my character. They're attacking my uh, lifestyle. They're attacking me. Don't be that. Don't be a slanderer. I just thought that was interesting because that is probably a very, very ugly word. And I had never realized that the word translated slanderer was related to the word that we translate also as devil. Similarly, encourage the young men to be self-controlled. In everything, set them an example by doing what's good. Now, he's talking to Titus. He says, now, Titus was probably a fairly young man as well. And he's telling him, now, you encourage the young men. They look to you as an example. You be self-controlled. In everything, set them an example by doing what's good. In your teaching, show integrity, seriousness, and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. You know, it's uh, one of the best defenses against slander and libel and is a godly life, to live well, doing good to others. You know, we've said this before, but when we're doing the Gospel of John, Jesus reduced the entire I think 613 commands from the Old Testament to two. He was asked, Rabbi, what is the greatest commandment? He says, oh, that's easy. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind. And the next one is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's Christianity as it should be expressed. When people see us living our Christian lives, that should be the reflection they get from us. That should be the message they get from us. And he, Paul, is this whole letter to Titus is all about, this is how this, what this looks like. This is what loving God looks like. Sound doctrine involves loving God. And that lo loving God, as it flows out through your life to the people around you, that's the loving your neighbors yourself part. And this is what that looks like. This letter is a real-life, rubber-meets-the-road kind of letter from Paul. In your teaching, show integrity, seriousness, and the soundness of speech that cannot be condemned, so that those who oppose you may be ashamed, because they have nothing bad to say about us. Teach slaves to be subject to the masters and everything, to try to please them, not to talk back to them, and not to steal from them, but to show that they can be fully trusted, so that in every way... They will make the teaching about God, our Savior, attractive. This is a difficult paragraph for me because slavery is not to be condoned in any context. Um, we have a history of slavery here in the United States in the, in the beginning of our nation that is absolutely egregious and soul-shattering. What was done to men and women and children in that thing called slavery was absolutely mind-blowingly awful. But what Paul is saying here, he's saying it to a culture 
that where slavery was a little different than the slavery we experienced. There, in Rome, there were more slaves than there were freedmen. And slaves weren't just black people or people of color. There were people from all cultures, uh, nations that they conquered. Uh, sometimes parents sold their children into slavery, as ugly as that sounds. Um, there were, and in many cases, slaves were very well educated, very well uh, taken care of. It, not all, because slave owners everywhere are filled with people who are vindictive and cruel and mean. But it, was, it would be hard to look at a crowd on the streets in Rome and just to discern who was a slave, who was not. Where in America, it would be very easy. If you were a black person in the 1600s, you were a slave. So there was the slaves of that day, slavery, the culture was different. Doesn't make it right. And I'm going to be honest, I have an issue with Paul in this regard. I don't know why he didn't come right out. and Because he wasn't a slave owner. And everything I read about Paul, he favored slaves being free and masters setting their slaves free. I don't know why he didn't come out more strongly against it. Maybe, I don't know. That's an uncomfortable thing with me. But he's telling here, he's telling slaves, if, you find, if you're a slave in that situation and you're a believer, that should reflect in the service that you render to your masters. I'm not going to be so glib as to say, what, we can apply this to the working person in the, working, in the workplace today. You know, if you're an employee, do your best to serve your boss. Okay, I get that. But that, I, I'm uncomfortable with this paragraph. I'm just not going to lie. Paul goes on saying, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. Now, the word translated teaches, where it says the grace of God teaches us to say no, the word translated teaches refers to more than instruction. It includes the whole process of training a child, instruction, encouragement, correction, and discipline. The grace of God isn't just about being saved from going to hell. The grace of God manifests itself through our entire life. Now, I've shown this diagram before, uh, and we'll get to it here in a second. But the, the grace through which salvation comes is a lifelong thing. It's not just a moment in time that where you bowed your knee to Christ or where you, you accepted Christ as your Savior. It, it, we're going to talk more about that. Grace and salvation are a lifelong event. So he says up here, grace teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. While we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, 
to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do good. Right conduct must be founded on right doctrine. Salvation involves the double work of redeeming us from guilt and judgment and producing moral purity and helpful service to others. Again, think about what James said. James says, I show you my faith by what I do. My faith has transformed me so that my actions reflect the grace of God. I've shown this diagram before. This is, this, this is a diagram of what salvation really is. In Ephesians 2, 8, 9, it says, For by grace are you saved through faith. Well, that word saved is a, a word that really encompasses three things. It encompasses the past, the present, and the future. You were saved in the past when you bowed your knee to Christ. That's called being justified. You're being saved, present tense, because you're being sanctified you're being cleansed, you're being purified in the day-to-day life as you pursue Christ. And then you will be saved in the future. We call that being glorified. So being saved, you could say, I was saved so that I could go through the process of being saved so that one day I might be saved. I was justified, I'm sanctified, I'm glorified. The salvation process, the grace of God, is not an event. It's a lifetime. It's not a one point in the past kind of thing. No, it's carrying through the present, aiming at the future. Walking with Christ. If you are in Christ, there will be changes in your life. Right conduct must be founded on right doctrine. And another way of saying that is right doctrine produces right behavior. They're connected. These then are the things you should teach. Encourage and rebuke with all authority. Do not let anyone despise you. I like what he told Timothy. Don't let anybody despise you for your youth. He's telling Titus, I need you to be firm. I need you to take charge of the churches in that area. And realize that the false doctrine that the heretical teachers are trying to bring about, these Judaizers and maybe some of these uh, um, philosophers, Stoic philosophers, Greek philosophers, what they're trying to infuse into the church, this heretical doctrine that, that became known as Gnosticism, you need to make sure that everybody knows right doctrine produces right living. Godly doctrine produces godly living. What you believe will come out in how you live. How you behave towards others is an outgrowth of what's in your heart. That's why I have a problem with people who call themselves Christians engaging in hate speech towards any other group, any other demographic in, here in the United States. That attitude should not be in a, the heart of a Christian. Now, does that mean I agree with lifestyles other people carry on with? No. But that doesn't mean I hate them, and I will not engage in hate speech against any group. How can I, how can I 
convince somebody that God's way is the right way if I'm spewing words filled with hate and venom. It doesn't work. And honestly, when I see people doing that, I question whether or not they are truly connected to the God of grace. Ah, I have a problem with that. And that's what Titus is being told to do here. And the big message of the second chapter is, down here, right conduct must be founded on right doctrine. Sound teaching, sound doctrine is important, but it's more than just how to think. It must produce godly living. They go hand in hand. You can't separate it. All right. This is a short one today, but it is what it is. Tomorrow, Titus chapter 3. I'm Paige. Here's my coffee, and I am out of here. Have a great day. Bye-bye.